Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs, uh, founding director of the uh, Finding Genius Foundation, also host of the Finding Genius Podcast. Today I have Gary Steele. He's a professor in the Department of Quantum Nanoscience in the uh, Kavli Institute of Nanoscience at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. So, Gary, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Yeah. So what's... Uh, what? I see the topic is quantum circuits and mechanics. What's your research about? Uh, so uh, our research has two main main focuses, as you can kind of see in the title. Uh, this uh, quantum circuits is is one part of what we do. Actually, all of the different research we work on involves quantum circuits in some way. Uh, and then quantum circuits are little uh, circuits that we make on a chip in a clean room, a bit like the chips that might be in your mobile phone. Uh, except we make them in a, we do all sorts of tricks to be able to make these circuits uh, behave in a quantum way. And that's why we call them quantum. What do you mean? Uh, yeah. So quantum circuit, you mean it uses quantum mechanics to function or what do you mean? Indeed, exactly. So uh, uh, the, the idea, let's say in your mobile phone, you have transistors that are connected together with little wires. Uh, and then those wires, generally uh, the current flows one way or the other way. Or my, uh, you know, so or like if you plug uh, something into the wall socket, the current is flowing at any given time. It's flowing out of the socket or into the socket, and uh, that's that's for us a sort of classical uh, circuits, let's say. But what with the circuits that we make, because we make them very cold, and uh, and we make them uh, in a you know, out of special materials that allow us to do this, we can actually make those currents flow in the opposite direction at the same time. Uh, and so somehow current is both flowing out of your wall socket and into your wall socket at the same time. And that's, uh, that, that's something that's only possible in quantum mechanics. And that's what we use and exploit in, in, our, in, in our research. Yeah, it might be an elementary question, but <clears throat> how is it different from alternating current? Yeah, so alternating current, uh, that's a very good question, actually. <laughs> I have the same problem with, uh, with bouncing mechanical objects, which is part of our research. So alternating current, you know, it flows in, and then it flows back out, right? So it, it, you know, there's no net current because it comes out of the wall socket and it goes back in. Uh, but say at any given time, if you, took a, if you froze time and took a look at it, then it's only flowing in one way. And, okay. uh, and, and what we do is we kind of make, uh, make the current flow in both directions at the same time. So does this approximate like an infinite Hertz circuit? Uh, <laughs> that's a, so, so... Uh, in principle, it seems like nothing's happening, right? Or, or uh, I wonder, you know, like if you have a 60 hertz or 120 hertz uh, electricity, would this look like infinite hertz? Um, and what would that do for you? If so, that's what I guess that's what my question was. I don't know if it even makes sense. But. Um, yeah. Uh, well, let's say the the currents that we work with are definitely oscillating, actually. So uh, they are flowing. They're oscillating back and forth and flowing the two different directions. Uh, but we make 
these circuits uh, have these oscillations at around a, around gigahertz frequencies typically. Mm, okay. Uh, so that's so, a, that's actually the same frequency that your mobile phone uh, sends stuff on. So the Wi-Fi in your in your computer and the mobile uh, signal in your phone, they all work in the same frequency range of circuits, which is convenient because that means our stuff is very cheap because people make lots of equipment. Yeah. What What are some of the benefits of the circuits that you're you know you're creating in your own way? Um, so uh, so one one uh, one thing that people try to do with these quantum circuits. Is is to make a yeah what's called a quantum computer, uh, and so you know in principle if you have these these circuits that can be do, doing two things at the same time, uh, then you can make a, a you know a computer a, a regular computer is made up of transistors which are zero or one, and uh, if you can build this quantum superposition thing into the bits you're working with, then your your computer can also be you know both zero and one at the same time. And, uh, you know, it's actually quite a technical, weird thing, but it turns out that that's a really big deal for the way computers work. And uh, some people in the 80s uh, discovered that if you could actually, theoretically, they, they started to look at this idea and they discovered that there are certain problems that can be done exponentially really much, much faster on a quantum computer than, a, than on a classical computer. Well, I've heard there's a lot of challenges, uh, you know, with quantum computing. It has to be kept very cold, uh, you know, had to keep noise out, uh, the error rate can propagate and cause all kinds of problems. I mean, it seems like they're very delicate systems. So what, um, you know, these circuits you're creating, I mean, are, are they sustainable? Can they stay in their coherent state for a long time? I mean, you know, like how far uh, along are you towards commercialization? Well, so, I mean, my, my research itself is, uh, is not so focused on, on, uh, on implementing it uh, towards a, you know, building a quantum computer that's actually sort of left the hands of scientists these days. Uh, so that's actually much too big a task for, for scientists on their own to tackle. And, uh, and actually the, the main people working on that now are companies. Uh, so this is something where, where companies like Google and IBM and, uh, and also some smaller startups like Rigetti in California uh, and actually startups all over the world. Uh, uh, but it, it's really become an industrial uh, type of challenge, engineering challenge, uh, that goes beyond what we can do in the lab as scientists, let's say. Uh, and we can make a few qubits. We, we, I mean, my group is not hi super hyper-specialized in this, but we, we uh, can make a few qubits and we can uh, get decent clearance times. But putting that all packaged together into a very, very big uh, scale computer is extremely tricky. But nowadays, right, is now is, is really a challenge of engineering. And for that, you need a big team of lots of people uh, mm. and lots and lots and lots and lots of money. <laughs> so you, are you innovating? I mean, what, like, again, what are you working on in regards to quantum circuits? Are you innovating to make them more reliable or work at higher temperatures or like, what's your, what's your push? So, uh, so we've been looking at, uh, so, you know, my own, I'm sort of quite a fundamentally driven uh, a scientist. I'm, I'm very curiosity driven. Uh, and what we, what we try to look for is funny little places uh, in, in these quantum circuit territory where we can do creative new things with, uh, with the design of the circuits. You know, not uh, bounded by the constraints of trying to make a, a scalable quantum computer. But asking questions like, well, what if you just do this in a completely different way? Uh, 
uh, what if you think about the circuit in a, in, in, in a way that people don't usually you know, think about and connect these pieces together in a different way on the chip, is there a new type of stuff that you can do with that? And that's, uh, that's a big uh, push of where we do our, our quantum circuit research. Hmm. And uh, you talked about uh, mechanical oscillators. I guess that uh, I didn't hear what you had said before, but uh, you're working on some kind of, uh, I guess, oscillator that uses quantum mechanics? Yeah, so so the, the the second sort of you know pocket of research uh, focus of research in the group is uh, is is to try to build devices where we can show uh, effects of quantum mechanics in mechanically vibrating objects. Okay, so uh, what, what's an example and what's the consequence of that? Uh, so you can think about like a little uh, a little vibrating drum, for example, or maybe not so little vibrating drum. Uh, you know where. We are trying to, uh, you know, the, in, the, in the quantum circuits, the, the, the thing that we're making quantum superpositions of is the currents that are flowing in the wires, for example. And, uh, and, but, yeah, the wires themselves are just stuck on the chip and there's currents kind of flying around back and forth if you want. But uh, in, in the mechanical part of the, of the thing, we're trying to actually make a mechanical object be in a superposition of being in two places at the same time. Um. <clears throat> In two places, meaning along its vibrational path, it's at two places that it normally would vibrate to, or, or what do you mean? That's right. So, uh, you know, there's a sort of uh, uh, animation that I usually use in my talks uh, where think of a drum that's bouncing up and down, right? Okay. Uh, but then imagine that there's sort of a twin copy of that drum that's bouncing up and down exactly out of phase. So that uh, when one one of the twins is going upwards, the other twin copy of the drum is going downwards. So it's kind of, as a function of time, it's, it's kind of bouncing out of itself and then back in again, and then bouncing out of itself and, and then back in again. I don't know if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, no, what would, be the, what would be the use of creating something like this, though? Uh, so, uh, you know, one of the things that we're driven by is that, uh, is that you know, this, if this thing that is vibrating is heavy enough, then, uh, then in principle, uh, the the one of these twins will exert uh, a, a gravitational force on the other one. So, uh, you know, yeah, you know, there's this these experiments where people, this Cavendish experiments actually, where people uh, measure the force that that two ball, the gravitational force that two balls pull each other with. Uh, okay. you know, uh, this is a force that makes Earth go around the Sun and the Moon go around the Earth. Uh, and this is a, typically a force that happens on really big objects, uh, but it, you know, if uh, if we can make uh, if we can take these little vibrating drums and push the drum out of itself, then in principle, the 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 drum should uh, be both exerting a force and not exerting a force on the other pair at the same time, and this allows us to test uh, concepts of combining quantum mechanics with gravity. And that is actually one of the fields of physics that people really don't know. Uh, that's sort of an open standing question in, in pretty much all of physics is whether or not people can combine quantum mechanics. And, uh, you, would have, you would have uh, two oscillators that are coherent in their oscillation? Were they anti-coherent? Or what do you mean? So it's, it's one thing, but it's both vibrating up and down at the same time. Oh, so you want to see because of create, creating... Okay. So by creating this quantum state where it's both vibrating, let's say I'm just going to call it up and down, um, 
it, it may take on the appearance of two objects and therefore they may exert gravity upon each other. That's right. Yeah. That, that's, that's, uh, well, so we kind of know from, from electro, if you did this with, of course, if I have two charge objects, they will do that as well. The, the answer is that, uh, so you might say, oh, that's really weird. I mean, I have an electric field that's in the quantum superposition of pointing up or down, but that's fine actually, because, uh, people know how to make electric fields quantum mechanical, but actually nobody knows how to make gravity quantum mechanical. And, uh, and there are even some conjectures that maybe this is where classical physics comes from, is from that gravity and quantum mechanics are not compatible. And uh, so we think that with these, these very tricky experiments, with these vibrate, these little funny drums that are bouncing up and down at the same time, we could start to test some of these theories that say that quantum mechanics should break down when, when, uh, when gravity becomes in a quantum superposition. When you say drum, you mean a macroscopic drum? Yeah, these things are pretty big. Uh, uh, so the ones that we work right now with, they're sort of both macro and nano. Uh, they're about one millimeter by one millimeter. It's sort of a Ooh. stretched membrane that's a square of about a one by one millimeter, but it's only 50 nanometers thick. Okay. So it's, it's a, uh, and, and, and those are, so it's, it's, it's macroscopic in that you can see it with your eye. Uh, it's also very thin. Uh, and, uh, but that's a little bit the, the idea uh, that that whole thing is going to bounce uh, up and down. And, and we want to build it in a quantum superposition, a bouncing up. But how do you cause it to oscillate? You would have to, I guess, hit it with a pulse of electricity or mechanically move it or do something, right? Yeah, so so that's so so we can uh, we can actually make it oscillate pretty easily by just pushing on it. Uh, we we don't push on it with our finger, but we we hope put it up into a circuit, and uh, and then if we have a, for example, if we put a little capacitor nearby, and the, the drum is typically metal coated, then if I put a voltage on the capacitor, I can attract the drum, and if I start putting oscillating voltage on that capacitor, I can make the drum bounce up and down. I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Or, yeah, see. no, no, no. So you're driving it electrically, okay? Exactly. It's, it's oscillating at a frequency uh, you decide, right? Exactly. And we pick to drive it at its resonance frequency because then it vibrates really large. Uh, but uh, th- that's actually not enough because actually we want to somehow kick it both up and down at the same time. Right. Uh, and uh, and that's that's actually pretty tricky. If you like this podcast please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. And How'd you do it? <laughs> so, well, we haven't done it yet, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, for that, actually, we want to actually borrow from the world of qubits because uh, the, the quantum, the little quantum circuits I told you about before, that's actually the whole basis of how the quantum computer works. The quantum computer is all about making devices where electric fields are in a superposition of pointing upwards and downwards. What about taking a, a molecule, though? I mean, all atoms, I guess they vibrate, so they act like that drum in a way, right? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. You know, they all have their own frequency. Yeah. Why well, have to set up an artificial system? Why not just use a molecule and try to achieve this coherence in one of the bond, bond vibrations, you know, between two atoms? Yeah, that, that is absolutely possible, and people have done that, actually, for... You know, it's, you know, for a long time in, you know, solid state, in, you know, atomic physics with gases. And then there's this super amazing stuff that people did, started doing in the 80s and 90s. And atoms where they could 
actually catch a single atom and do that with a single atom. Uh, but the problem is that the mass is just too small. Uh, so the, the gravitational force, it scales, uh, there's sort of this, this, mm. uh, this time that it would take for the, the gravity to affect the quantum evolution, let's say, sort of, uh, that time scales with the fourth power of the mass. So if you do the calculation for an atom, uh, like an electron in an atom and a chemical bond of an atom or molecule, then the, the amount uh, your, 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 the amount of time you'd have to do the experiment is something like 10 to the 18 years. But, the, but you have to mechanically drive this larger setup. So like, how do you get, how do you get it into a state where again, it's vibrating one way and another at the same time? Like how would you, you know, how are you going to so, do that? So, so for that's what we do is we actually make, we, we have the sort of, you know, we can pull and push on the, on the, the membrane with an electric field. And then that, with a voltage, basically on an electrode, and then we make that we use our qubits to to make that voltage into a superposition of being a positive and a negative voltage, and we make that then that voltage then oscillate uh, in in a you know in this weird superposition where it's also uh, so you're driving the membrane both you're driving the membrane in like a quantum mechanical way, meaning you're you're feeding it opposite voltages at the same time. Is that what you're doing? So that's pretty much that's pretty much that's pretty much exactly what we're doing and uh and when then we use the qubits to make these funny weird opposite voltages at the same time that's that's the basic idea exactly but what kind of cascade do you get like when you when you hit a membrane with a voltage period um yeah. i would think there's like cascading effects it doesn't you know all the uh the electric or the energy doesn't immediately go into the the membrane some of it's lost and there's secondary effects so like yeah I would also think it would be very hard to time any driving motion, you know, uh, to be exact. So if you're hitting it with opposite voltage, I mean, even if they're like, a, I don't know, a picosecond apart, wouldn't that disturb your ability to put it in a, a quantum state? Yeah. So what we would, what we do is we wouldn't, you know, I say hit, but we usually hit them very gently. Uh, and, and what we do is we, we make, uh, we sort of turn on a very slowly, we slowly turn on an oscillating field that then sort of ring, you know, gently rings up the membrane, but it's always oscillating in such a way that it's sort of positive and negative. That's a, that's sort of our little trick. Uh, have, have you been able to do this? I mean, is it working where it's, you know, uh, I would think you'd, uh, you'd have to drive it and then I guess the echoes of the vibration may be coherent, but not the initial driving vibration itself or maybe i'm wrong I don't know. no yeah indeed i mean so the the to we you know if you if you just turn on the driving immediately then you'll have all these annoying transients and it'll be a big mess and and so that's why we always have to sort of sort of ramp it on uh, carefully to sort of you know you know it's sort of like if i if i hit a, a mass on if i hit a pendulum with a hammer it kind of goes a bit nuts right but if i sort of tick it very slowly a little bit harder every time uh then I can get it uh, into a nice oscillation. So uh, how far along have you gotten? Have you done this and have you observed physically that, uh, you know, the membrane is in two positions at once? Uh, that, that would be fantastic if we have. <laughs> Unfortunately, these, we are discovering these are very tricky experiments. Uh, you know, not to mention, the, the, you know, and some of them are very, are physics tricky, like the physics of how to make the qubit push this membrane two directions at the same time without blowing up the qubit or, or causing all sorts of other chaos in our, in our circuits. 
that's very tricky. Uh, but also there's really boring, mundane, tricky things like uh, we, we basically take this chip and we turn it upside down and we it's super low tech. We glue it actually to another chip that has our qubits on. Uh, and then sometimes they just break uh, and sometimes they don't. And then sometimes you have sort of a bad spell of about three years where they break all the time. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, could be, it could be demoralizing for a generation of PhD students who've discovered. Uh, but it, you know, it's, it's one of these things where the devil of this is really in the details. It's really about little tiny things that are quite important to make sure that the membrane can oscillate for a long time without uh, losing its energy and that you don't smash it when you turn the screws to push it a little bit closer and, uh, and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, that's, that's what keeps us busy in the lab every day, uh, this type of stuff. So what do you think will happen once you get it to work? I mean, in, <laughs> like, like, what's your guess? How long, if you get it to work, will it last for like a microsecond? Like what's success look like? So uh, we, what we've done from the data we've taken before on, on, on the ones from several years ago that weren't exploding all the time, uh, we were able to show that, uh, you know, the, the devices, the, the, the this oscillations of this weird, we call it a Schrodinger cat because it's a, sort of like a big object in two places at the same time. Uh, this mechanical Schrodinger cat, he should live for something like 100 milliseconds. And uh, okay. so, so, you know, if there's no effect of gravity, then he should live for 100 milliseconds and we should uh, turn on our, turn on an experiment. We should see that this thing is coherent for 100 milliseconds. And if you sort of believe the somewhat, you know, shot in the dark guesses of some smart people about what might happen with gravity, then they would say, they would tell us that gravity should actually kill our quantum superposition in times of about 10 milliseconds. And, and so there we have a good, uh, you know, reasonable margin about a factor of 10, uh, where we should be able to look for, to see whether or not, uh, you know, quantum, you know, gravity is really, like some people suggested might, uh, you know, destroying quantum coherence. How far apart will the, um, you know, the two positions of the oscillation be? They will not be very far apart. Uh, so they will be about seven femtometers. And uh, so, well, at first, I guess it depends on how you catch the oscillation, but it'll be an expanding and then a contracting distance too. I mean, it'll be changing. Right. Yeah. And the, so the maximum, the peak distance will be some we're targeting is about seven or eight femtometers. So what kind of forces will be in play during the expansion phase of that space and the contraction phase? And what will that do? So the the I, the idea is that uh, uh, is that uh, as it pulls apart from itself, uh, you know the the you know the you know basically what the the trick is that we need to we need to pull the nuclear diameter out of itself because the nucleus is where all the mass is. So once we get the and if they're overlapping, they obviously can't exert a force on each other. But if we can pull the nucleus, uh, displace the, the the nuclei by more than their diameter then there should be gravitational energy. Uh, it should be gravitational sort of force uh, field coming out of the nucleus. And then if, uh, you know, if we can get that nucleus, nuclear mass density out of each other, then the, the nuclear, the gravitational field is both pointing up and down at the same time. 
And uh, essentially, and, I mean, they're going to be a much smaller distance apart than the size of, like the you know the the radius of a nucleus, right, or the diameter of a nucleus. I'm sorry. Uh, so the, the the diameter of nucleus is something like in our materials, something like three femtometers. Okay, so they'll be just about touching. Let's say I'm just using the wrong language. I'm sure, but if I imagine like two atoms, and I just picture them as like you know. A, a hard center is the nucleus and then a cloud around them. So yeah. the, the two hard centers will be essentially like edge to edge at the, the widest point of the oscillation or, and then they'll overlap for the rest of it. Or what will it look like? That's right. It be, like, a, like, a, like a Venn diagram of atoms. <laughs> yeah. They'll be a little bit bigger than the, they'll be a little bit. So the diameter is something like three, uh, three centimeters and the distance is seven. So there's about a three, femtometer gap between them of, of nothingness. Uh, and, and that's where our gravitational field will be both pointing, you know, up and down at the same time. So do you think that this will, I have no clue, but will this give off like a gravitational wave or can you measure, I mean, besides time to, to collapse, what will you be able to measure from this? Do you think it'll give off anything? Uh, most likely it'll probably do nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, our, our best case scenario is that is that we haven't, that nothing will happen, and that uh, that that the thing will just uh, will just uh, you know uh, be coherent still. Uh, and and if we can see that, then then we've shown that at least in some uh, that you know that gravity is you know it is possible to create you know uh, a space time that is in a quantum superposition. Let's say. So I mean, within an, uh, I don't know if you just pick an atom, uh, hydrogen atom. The um, the electron is moving in how big of a space, and essentially it's it's coherent within that space, right? Yeah, the the electron is about it's about uh, an, an angstrom, so that's uh, that's a lot of femtometers. Yeah, it's like ten thousand femtometers. Right? That's right. Yeah. So essentially, it's moving in this uh, well, in this scale, a gigantic space in the in a quantum mechanical way, right? Yeah, it's yeah, existing absolutely. or oscillating or yeah, yeah. But that that in sort of this 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 sort of uh, gravitational picture, that's not a big deal because electrons are really light, and so is sort of the the predictions for how long it would take before yeah this this sort of crazy theory that gravity might be incompatible with quantum mechanics. How long it would take that theory for that to to decohere the electron is sort of longer than than the you know the humans have been on Earth or something. Mm. So what do you think? I mean. Like- do you think a larger oscillation would make it easier? Like what, what are some of the parameters that will get you closer to, uh, to what you want? Are you having issues with like the temperature or like what, what's troubling you right now? So temperature, aside from really boring things, like things snap and crack and break. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, one of our problems is temperature. So the, 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 the frequency of our mechanical oscillations is uh, like hundred, hundred kilohertz to megahertz or so something in that range. And, you know, we, we cool things down. We buy the, the most, you know, we, we spend half a million euro to buy this, this big, huge piece of equipment that gets us to an absurdly low sounding temperature of 10 millikelvin or so. Uh, that's 10 millionths of a degree above absolute zero. But millikelvin or microkelvin or? 10 millikelvin. Uh, but, but that's not cold enough because at 10 millikelvin. Uh, no, that's like hot. That's mega hot. <laughs> so, 
So what's the, what's the, by the way, just out of curiosity, in, what's the coldest that anyone has ever been able to uh, get a system? Is it now like Pico Kelvin's yet, or what? Is it Micro Kelvin, or what? It depends on what's uh, what what you call a system and what you call cold. <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> so you know, people using uh, people are able to cool the center of mass motion of of atoms in a vacuum chamber using laser cooling to nano Kelvin. Mm. Uh, and uh, then, but that's sort of that's that's sort of one degree of freedom of the atom, right? It, it, it's a it's a little bit and uh, and whether you know a, an ultra hyper dilute uh, gas of atoms or the atoms aren't touching each other, whether that's you know a material or not, that's sort of an interesting, possibly philosophical discussion. Uh, you know, and it's typically limited to something like ten to the five atoms. So what we buy is a machine that uses liquid helium. And mixtures of helium three and helium four, that helium three is a gas, costs a bloody huge amount of money uh, to cool just a huge block of copper, like kilograms of copper to ten millikel. Uh, that's sort of conventional cryogenic cooling, and that's that's where we always start. But for you know our 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 oscillators, because of the low frequency, they'll still have like a thousand thermal quanta. Uh, you know, we're like a thousand quanta away from the ground state when we start. Uh, and for, so how we get, we can get colder then by using similar tricks. We actually use tricks that we borrow directly out of the textbook of atomic physics. And we do laser cooling type of tricks uh, mm -hmm. to cool our, our mechanical devices, uh, you know, below, much so, so that the mode, the noise of the vibrations is much, much lower than 10 minutes. And the record we reached in our group is about 35 microcalvin vibration. Yes, yeah, so you're trying to remove the national, the, sorry, the natural vibrations of the material itself, so that only the oscillation is important, right? Yeah, but we're only cooling. It's kind of a funny thing. All the other, you know, if you think about a string, it has sort of the fundamental mode and has higher harmonics, for example, like that wiggles more, right? We're actually only cooling one of those. All the other vibrations are still vibrating like crazy, but we, we we're cooling. Only one of them, but as long as they're they're linear and they're they're orthogonal to each other, in a, you know, and they're, they, then that's fine because one can be cold and the other one can be hot and they don't talk to each other. Oh, because you just care about the oscillation in just one dimension so we far. Care. That's right. We care about the oscillation in one dimension and then only one mode of that. Even. Yeah. Hmm. So that's. I mean, with that, some tricks. with yeah, I don't know. It's just with that tiny, tiny distance of oscillation. I mean. How do you know that the two oscillation modes will line up, you know, along the same axis so the distance is truly right? And, I mean, I don't yeah, know, it just seems uh, so hard, so complicated, you know? It is a bit complicated because also when we're making this little quantum, you know, uh, you know, when we're making this sort of quantum superposition, you know, the other modes are still bouncing up and down, right? Well, what, are there materials that have fewer modes? Would that be an easier starting material? Or I'm sure there's trade-offs, but... You know. Yeah, that, that's something we also work on. I mean, we also, you have too many modes and you can engineer the modes just by changing the way, the, the shape of the membrane, for example, uh, or how you pattern it. Uh, that, that can also help a lot. And it can be a real pain if you have too many modes that are bouncing. But uh, it's kind of a weird thing, but it's, it really does work that, uh, that these all just add linearly. So you don't really care if your superposition is completely still or if it's bouncing up and down on top of another mode. Really? Yeah. So it wouldn't be it wouldn't be useful to have a crystal 
some kind of crystal that has a certain structure that, that preferentially biases, you know, very few modes of motion or one more than others? Yeah, I mean, that always helps, but uh, it's, it's, not, it's not a killer if you have other modes, it turns out. Okay. Uh, you can live with them, actually. Uh, hmm. Interesting. It, it, it sort of, it still makes my head spin sometimes, and sometimes I get myself into a loop thinking about it. But, but yeah, we have to trust the mathematics and it sort of, yeah, the math does as it works and, uh, and then our intuition feels so what, what, what does this tell you? Let's say you do it, it works, you know, what are the possible things that you could learn from doing this? So, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, the best case scenario, let's say, well, let's say the best case scenario is we discover that, that really there is a fundamental limit, uh, to, to how much gravitation can play a role in your quantum evolution, and then it screws everything up. Uh, <laughs> that would be super cool. Uh, that one's kind of hard to prove because we'd have to do lots of control experiments to really show that that's the case, but that would be very interesting. But I think personally, I, I'm kind of, I believe very strongly in quantum mechanics and, and probably that gravity is probably compatible with it. So uh, then, then you end up with a very pessimistic uh, possibility that nothing could happen and we just say okay it works <laughs> uh, but uh, the you know the mathematics of this is very tricky uh, to work out actually combining gravity with this quantum uh, evolution and so there's sort of also maybe a hope that we'll see something that that is maybe not expected and that that we could actually learn something about how gravity is modifying the the evolution of the wave function uh, by looking at what we see in in the way this little thing is bouncing up and down. Do you think you're going to get any, any insight into gravitation itself from doing this? Uh, well, I mean, certainly the, 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 the fact, the, the insight whether gravitation is even possible to combine with quantum mechanics is already would be a, a pretty monstrous revolu- yeah, revelation in, in physics. Uh, there are also, you know, the, you know we're, if, if we can really do this type of experiments, aside, even aside from whether or not uh, you know, quantum mechanics uh, is compatible with gravity, you know, we, we will essentially be able to probe you know, this gravitational field that's at the distance of, of some femtometers from the nucleus. And, and that, that is, uh, you know, people typically imply gravitational effects from looking at stars or, or planetary motion. And, uh, and that will be a very interesting thought as to whether we can start to learn about how gravity behaves on, on link scales that people have never really looked before. Uh, I'd have to really think about whether that's possible. <laughs> uh, uh, but that, that's certainly something that, 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 that puzzles us and drives us. So if someone asks you, what is the sound of one hand clapping, you take it very seriously, right? It is actually really like uh, one hand clapping, actually. Actually, you know, I just thought of something. The um, is this this oscillator is going to be in a vacuum or or no? Yeah, we 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 keep it in in sort of cryogenic vacuum. Yeah, that's uh, important. Hmm. Is there any way to um, I don't know to observe the oscillation and that it'll create a slight pref- pressure differential on you know the the wall behind the oscillator as it oscillates, or a slight uh, increase in vacuum like. Can you look at the nature of the vacuum? It's not a perfect vacuum, but can you look at the nature of it and maybe the conductivity of the vacuum around it will change as it oscillates? I mean, 
is there any way to look at other factors to tell you what's going on? Um, let's see. Uh, I do have some colleagues actually who are trying to put pressure uh, doing these types of experiments with, with liquids actually with superfluid helium has become a mm. big topic in the field where they really do have little pressure cells uh, in, in their cryostats and combine these little membranes with, with little uh, liquids, superfluids actually. Um, the vacuum itself is also an interesting beast uh, because the vacuum, uh, you know, is also not empty, right? Right. And uh, and so the the uh, these types of experiments are also interesting uh, from the perspective of trying to look at things like the Casimir effect. Uh, I don't know if you know much of it, if you've heard of the Casimir effect before or. Yeah, that's why I asked you. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so indeed, the the idea is that uh, if you have two metal plates get really close, then then the the sort of zero point energy results in an extra force that 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 pulls them. Uh, and and I have colleagues that have also done experiments like this, and from these types of super, you know, because we have to be able to, to do these experiments, we have to be able to sense this position of this plate down to like sub femtometer accuracy. And uh, so if you have some way of pushing that plate up and down, you can start to look at how, uh, you know, for things like Casimir forces uh, could play a role in, 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 in the position and stiffness of the plate. And I have some colleagues in NIST who have been doing that by using a, a, a DC voltage to also pull the plate and statically displace it. And they've actually done some, it's sort of a, it's funny because it's sort of a, a side remark comment in their paper yeah. Oh yeah, and this is this 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 thing over here is because of the Casimir force, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so that that's uh, that's certainly something that 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 people have been looking at is using these tools of optomechanics that that is what this is called, where we use detect the position very sensitively uh, to look at, uh, at things such as Casimir forces. Yeah. Well, very good, Gary. What's the best way for people to uh, find out more about your work? And it keeps tabs on it. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So we we have yeah, we can you can always read our papers. <laughs> where where can they feel every oscillation of your work as it happens? So we have uh, so we have so we we try to keep a, a little bit up on on press releases uh, and and those we we uh, well you can find them on our on our department website. Usually we profile all the press releases from our work. Uh, but we'd actually, it's something we're interested in is learning uh, how to, to communicate this better uh, to people. And so we're thinking we're going to get a new website design and we're going to see if we can find time and manpower to maintain a blog where we talk a little bit more about the, about the work we do. Okay. Well, very good, Gary. Thanks for coming. It's, uh, you know, it just takes a little while to, to figure out what's going on, but I appreciate you explaining it. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I hope uh, I did. Uh, hope I had some success in uh, bringing across what we do. <laughs> right on. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. 
This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.